it again by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry. Stoops. Anyways, so I was thinking about it, and that's how you should make apple pie. With nipples? <laughs> <laughs> all right that's all enough right. hey everybody no more shame. we are back with the forever mighty podcast an emergency pod of, of sorts because uh, the ducks shocked the world and signed the biggest uh second biggest free agent left on the market in john klingberg he signs a one-year seven million dollar deal with the anaheim ducks and you you called this technically you can take credit for it as much as i sort as of yeah. as i hate it um, with your backwards, what, what, what did you say? Because he switched to Newport Sports, and you said because Newport is a yeah, he switched to Newport, California. Newport is in Orange County, so obviously that meant he was coming to the Ducks. Um, but I, you know what's funny is is like obviously that was just me, like I, you know, just wake up sheeple shit. But like the thing that's actually funny is is when he fired his agent, it actually did move things kind of in Anaheim's favor because that meant that the situation at least you can kind of assume right that the situation in like the free agent landscape or what had kind of eroded to the point that maybe just taking a a high cap one hit one year deal with a team like Anaheim is the best bet right because he can get the most money from them he's going to get um I think probably the biggest role of anybody and He'll put himself in a position to get traded at the deadline potentially and then do this whole song and dance over next summer uh, after having hopefully had a really good year. So it, it's – I don't know, man. It's it's weird. Like it really – like I was not – I don't know. I don't know how surprised anybody else was, but like this really like caught me completely off guard. Where were you? Yeah, like we, we kind of joked about it um, on the last pod, which was a couple days ago or before the Scott Wheeler interview. We Back, went back and forth over a couple things and and I think we also talked about it on our free agency preview show um, or at least the comments from Verbeek where he was like okay yeah the veterans available there are you know he doesn't believe that those guys are, are good enough to eat the amount of minutes of the defenseman that that they want to do that so you know we got into what that means and whatever and the only guy that fits that mold is John Klingberg that's left and we didn't think that the Ducks would be able to get him and he's probably going to get you know ask for a term that is above what they would be willing to do. You know, the money is what it is. The Ducks have the money to make it work on a one or a two year deal, but it was always the term that was going to be the issue. I, I was surprised for sure. Um, it makes so much sense now, and and clearly with it's a, such a smart move. I think from Pat Verbeek, when you look at the fact that this guy wasn't going to get the term he wanted, he wanted a Seth Jones type deal. The offer just wasn't out there. I like the move from Verbeek to be like, listen, we'll give you $7 million, which is above the market value. It's more than you're going to get anywhere else. But you're going to take one year. It's great for us because it's one year. If it doesn't work out, ship him off at the deadline, get some more assets. And for him, one year, prove that you can do it. Next year, you can get that contract. You're not stuck here for two years, so then you're a little bit older and it's tougher to get that deal. You can go out there and you can get that, try and get that long-term deal next year. I think it's great. I think it's a it's a smart move for both both the player and the team. And I was yeah just as just as shocked as you were to see that come across our timeline out of nowhere. 
no hints of it, no links to, at all. No. Like, I mean, I don't know how quickly this materialized. Obviously, he just switched his agent, so it could have been, you know, fairly quickly. A standing offer. But the Ducks but, yeah. have been pretty good at keeping things tight-lipped all deadline. We heard nothing really on Strom, nothing on Vitrano, nothing um, now on Klingberg either. So, uh, man, yeah, I was I was surprised, but I love it. I, it's it's it, balls to the wall on defense. Not a lot of guys that can actually prove and they can play defense well. Uh, but it just makes next year so much more fun, and and I personally love it for the effect it could have on Jamie Drysdale, not just to learn from a player like John Klingberg, but now he doesn't have to be that top pairing guy with Cam Fowler, right? Like there is a guy above him mm-hmm. that they're gonna give those minutes to, and he can pull back a little bit, which I think I think he'll benefit from. Focus on the defensive side of the game take a year off from being having to try and be that guy, which we, you know, we saw with Cam Fowler early on in his career where they just said, listen, you got to go out and beat this guy right away. And, uh, but yeah, man, I was, I was surprised. Yeah, it was interesting, right? Because I think, you know, it's kind of funny because it comes back to something that we had talked about at the beginning of the, you know, even before free agency actually opened up where we were saying something that, you know, we thought Anaheim uh, should do is, basically what this is which is call everybody that's got a big name and be like look in the event that you can't get the deal that you want this is how much we're willing to give you for one year similar to like we said with taylor hall um and there was i think detroit has done it with like one or two guys over the years you know where they bring a guy in and then they see where they're at at the deadline and you know it makes a lot of sense like i think i think i remember you saying something about that i think you might have mentioned Klingberg specifically but I know you said it about Kadri we're like well listen just yeah Klingberg and Kadri were the two for me that I felt like a one or two year deal at a high cap hit was better than a long-term deal just from a Ducks perspective even if it didn't necessarily make the most sense for them and I think you know to the point where it took this long for Klingberg to do that kind of highlights that it is it maybe his preferred move, obviously, right? Like, like you yeah. said, he was looking for a, a Seth Jones type deal with that kind of term and high, high cap hit. Now, unfortunately for him, Seth Jones got that contract at 24, 25 yeah. and he's, you know, he's going to be 30 in like a week. Um, but for Anaheim, this is great. And, you know, I, uh, I was, talk- I had talked about it the other day from the forever mighty account on Twitter that like, I had concerns about bringing him in on like a three or four year deal just because like what it meant for the lineup and the right side is now all offensive guys. And, you know, what is the point of having Kevin Shattenkirk if you're going to take him off the power play? And I think all of that is too somewhat still true. But I think that the two things that have kind of changed my mind, I guess, a little bit is after even before this Someone, I don't remember who it was, but someone had made the point, like, it's not, you, the, (laughs) the uh, impact that John Klingberg can have to the offense and especially the special teams is significant enough that it shouldn't actually matter whether or not it removes Shattenkirk's thing, like his, um, his role in the special teams. And then the other thing was it's a one year deal. So like they're both on the same page and it seems just as likely they're both gone as they're both here, uh, at the end of the year, you know? And I think, you know, I I do still think there's something to be said of how do we feel about the Benoit Shattenkirk third pairing without having, you know, a Manson Fowler, Manson Lindholm ahead of it. Um, I, you know, I, 
Klingberg's at least got some good size. He's like six foot three, two hundred pounds. Like yeah. he's got he's got a little bit of size to him. So I don't want to necessarily assume he's going to get pushed around too much in his end. But like his defensive numbers aren't great. He is like you said, an all offense guy. Same as Jamie Gisdale. Same as Kevin Shattenkirk. Um, you know, I think at this point it's safe to assume that the top pair is probably Fowler and Klingberg. Like you said, I think that's pretty yeah. good. You know, I I mean. If they get trapped in their own end, it's going to be a disaster Um, just because, you know, neither of those guys really have the reputation for getting guys out of their own, you know, get guys out of the crease and stuff like that. But by that same token, if they can trap the other team in the end, that's a pretty dynamic pairing uh, and creative pairing. And depending on who the forward groups are, you know, there's a chance for them to just kind of have a 20, 30 second shot that's a baby power play. Yeah, but it was, like the thing too is it was always going to be a mess defensively for the Ducks this year with who they had mm-hmm. with uh, with Drysdale, with Shattenkirk, with Fowler at the back end. Like it was always going to be tough to really make that work for them and have that, um, you know, defensive prowess at the back end. It just like it just wasn't going to happen. But I think what this does for you is they are a scary running gun team now, especially if you get out there with Zegers' line. If, if Fowler and Klingberg are together, um, you've got them. Both of them have proven that they can be excellent kind of guys who, who can exit the zone cleanly, uh, get the puck up the ice, and you add Zegers into that equation. Who was He was one of the best-controlled entry forwards uh, in the NHL last year. Like That is it's a pretty deadly combo if you think of that, that you can kind of get up the ice that quickly and make things happen. Um, details, Lewis just uh, put in the chat here, Elliot Friedman retweeted it from Puckpedia, the full details of John Klingberg's contract is it's a full no trade clause through January 1st, 2023, which is interesting, but I, I think that's probably from the team side, um, you would imagine, or maybe both, but a little bit of prediction. I think that's probably from him, is that what, I Can't mean, move me sooner, you could right? argue that it's yeah. both, but it's just like just give me a couple of months to get my feet under us. This is going to be new for everybody. And I think if you're John Klingberg, that's helpful mm-hmm. because, you know, like I said, like it's, it's going to take everybody a second to get his feet, their feet under him. And it's also going to take him a second to kind of adjust to whatever the style that's coming is. Like, I don't know what to expect, but, you know, um, DB said RIP John Gibson. And I, I think that's pretty close to right. Like, you know, maybe the hope is is that they just generate enough offense that it takes some of the pressure off of Gibby as far as, you know, one goal is the end of the game. Yeah. So I, I don't know, but it'll be interesting. But yeah, I, I think it's safe to say that that's mutually beneficial, but I think probably is in there for Klingberg. I, I don't know if this is just on my end, but uh, I'm looking at the stream. <laughs> oh, there we go. Okay. Your face was frozen for a second there until I said something. And it, uh, oh, no. it was great. You're stuck on a wonderful face. I hope that's uh, oh, I hope no. that was not on my end and it's on the video version now. Uh, but, yeah, dude, I, I completely agree. I I, I love this um, this move. I, I think that I think that no trade and, uh, you know, it, that works for both teams in a sense is that the Ducks do get them for a little bit. He gets to make sure he can get his his feet under him. Whether it was, you know, I, I think it benefits both sides. That ten team no trade, I think, is is smart on Klingberg's part, right? Is that he wants to make sure he also can go to a team that is in a good spot as well, so he can eliminate ten tr- teams off that, likely probably the ten bottom teams in the league, um, or some teams that don't have a fit for him, and then, um, you know, he can kind of pick and choose where he's going to go. I think whether he stays. You know, the Ducks do, if he does really well, the Ducks are in a good position to say, hey, maybe, you know, we can push for a playoff spot here. I know that's a stretch, but 
maybe look at bringing him back as an option. You've now got the first rights to kind of talk to him throughout the year, engage that if that's a possibility. If not, you're probably going into the deadline with the number one defensive option for a lot of teams out there. Guys that were, I'm sure, teams that were very interested in him um, this offseason just weren't willing to put the term and the money that he was looking for. They will be mm-hmm. back there looking for him again at the deadline. And, you know, any team looking for, you know, a, a guaranteed top four right shot defenseman who can either carry a power play one or power play two, like they're going to be looking at him. That, that's why I love this this deal. And it made sense when obviously you brought it up before with Kadri and Klingberg is if it doesn't work out and you're not in a good spot, you're still going to get something for this guy, right? Like you're still... Yep. And it's John Klingberg. Like, again, he has some name value there. You look at, I think it was Brian Bader who put this out. Uh, the D-man drafted from 2000 on and played 100-plus games in the NHL. Only McCarr, Quinn Hughes, Adam Fox, Eric Carlson, Roman Yossi, and Latang have a higher points per game right than Klingberg. Six of them make an average, the, the six of them together make an average AAV of $8.9 million. So... <laughs> There's uh, this is yeah. some, some good company to be in over, you know, the last two decades of hockey when you look at who are the mm-hmm. the players that are, are the, you know, the best offensive defense in the league. He's seventh in points per game among those guys. So there is a lot of teams that are going to look wonder, at that and, and put some value in that. Oh, definitely. I would I wouldn't wonder uh, I, unless I missed it. The one name I didn't hear there was John Carlson. I would be curious to see what his points per game were at. It's got to be close. Just because it's got to be close. It's got to be pretty yeah. close, right? Um, but no, it's, it's, I I just think, you know, there are still, I still think there are, you know, some concerns about what does it mean for Kevin Shattenkirk as far as how much is Anaheim going to get at this? Like, is he going to be able to play at a level, even in a third pair role where he is having, um, a significant positive impact, uh, at five on five. Um, but it doesn't you know, it gives them options, right? Like we were talking about that last time. Like the one thing that everything, the one consistent theme to what Pat Verbeek has done is about creating opportunities, not about getting rid of things. Um, you know, even the, like we said, the decisions to move on from guys has created options as opposed to locking that guy down and eliminating kind of the team's flexibility moving forward. I think it's great. It's hilarious to me. The highest paid player on the team now. Um, <laughs> it's funny that the highest paid player on the team is a defenseman. And at the same time, it's also good to know that the ducks are still the ducks and the highest paid player on the team next year will be over 30. <laughs> yeah, we were just talking <laughs> so about we, that too. And, and we're still going to make sure that we have a, uh, you know, and, and it, it's something Pat Verbeek obviously says in his little, like the press release that I, that you read, uh, at least to me before the show about, you know, he brings in a, a veteran presence. He brings in some leadership, you know, I mean, he's been through a lot of ups and a lot of downs in his time in Dallas, you know, that team's been kind of up and down over that whole run. He was there for the two runs to cup final. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, he's been there for teams that have finished, you know, uh, in the lottery and missed the playoffs completely and stuff like that. So, He'll be an interesting perspective. Uh, he'll have a very interesting perspective that he'll bring to the team, along with Ryan Strom. And I think, in a lot of ways, they're kind of similar. I think John Klingberg, relative to position, is probably a better player. Um, but I, I, you know, there's not a lot here to be upset about. With the more, the, like, the more information comes out, the more encouraging everything about this move is. Yeah, and I think the fun thing is, like, the Ducks have not had 
dynamic defenseman in a very long time, really, since Scotty and, and Pronger, right? For Pronger and Scotty Needham are dynamic for different reasons in a sense, right? But a a guy that is that exciting to watch from the back end. We saw flashes of it, obviously, now with Drysdale, and Cam can bring that out every now and then. But we've had a lot of the kind of the steady guys over the years, right? The, the confident yeah. two-way guys who can shut guys down. It'll be a lot of fun, I think, just to he watch. He was close. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, he obviously wasn't at that level, but, like, he did for a time. He was at least pretty solid and yeah. productive, so. Yeah, it would just be fun, I think, to watch these guys just go out there. Like, it's going to be painful a lot of nights to watch them in their own end, and uh, there's mm-hmm. not really anybody. Like, if you're if you're going to say that Fowler and Vakaninen are kind of your two top defensive defensemen out there, that's a tough place to be if you're looking to compete, but... Again, like I don't think this move means the Ducks are going to compete. Is it going to mean they're going to be better? One hundred percent. But I don't think it's necessarily a move strictly on trying to push for the playoffs. It's just a smart move no. to make. It's one that you have the cap space to do it. It's one year, and then you can flip them for assets later. And we've heard Verbeek mention that before. Like they'll explore those types of deals. Maybe we didn't think it'd be free agency, but trades to bring guys in that are flippable assets that you can move later. Well. Now you've done that through free agency, and you've also added a guy who's going to make your team better, at least offensively. This is still a team that struggled on the power play in the second half of the year, mm-hmm. a team who's offensively hasn't really gotten things going from the blue line in the past. You know, Adding Strom to that power play and Klingberg now, both presumably to power play one, they were significant impacts on their team's power plays last year and over the last three seasons. Strom was on power play one, very good Rangers power play. Again, you know, we talked about before how much of that is his impact versus who he's playing with, but he still had a spot on that top unit and, and did mm-hmm. well. And now Klingberg as well. So you think, okay, Klingberg, Strom, Zegris, right? You start adding to that that top unit. That that should, in theory, we've said this over the years, like in theory the Ducks power play should be good and it hasn't, but you're starting to add those pieces, you know, Terry, Zegris, Klingberg, Strom, whoever else you kind of want to throw out there is that, that fifth guy on that unit, you've got the makings of a really, really good power play one unit that should be able to get things done. So I mean, in, just in that sense of the dynamism that that Klingberg uh, is going to bring to the back end, and just the excitement to watch him there, like it, it catapults this team from having a really suspect blue line outside of Cam Fowler to all right, like this is starting to take some shape. Like you've got a legitimate top pairing now with Fowler and Klingberg, and. You've got a really young, exciting player in Jamie Drysdale in the second pairing, and some some good projects in Vakaninen and Mahura and Benoit and Yule Levy, who they just signed, right? And then a, a good veteran sure. in Shattenkirk. So I'm still not sure Mahura's on this team at the start of the season. Yeah, he he might not. I mean, like right now, hey, I think I, there's I, five guys who are locked it down. Like I think Vakaninen's going to be there. Obviously, Klingberg, Fowler, Drysdale, Shattenkirk, and then it's Mahura, Benoit, Yule Levy. Zellweger, Mintukov, like those are guys who could all fight for that right. last spot, depending on how they do. Now, I think Mintukov goes back, but who knows, right? Yeah, no, I think more than likely Mintukov and Zellweger, we can say, are going to be finishing the, or spending the year in juniors. But at the same time, like, you know, I think if I had to guess of there being a surprise, like, I think those two would be the most likely to surprise in a, in a meaningful way, I guess. Yeah, especially with the the other two, I guess you would pick would be uh, Thrun and Lakeham, but they're both going back to college, so it's not exactly. even. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it'll be interesting. I think um, the two things that I've kind of been thinking about since I saw this is one is uh, they were doing for the free. 
free agency wrap up for Puck Soup, uh, Lambert and Akindu were talking, and they were saying how Ottawa was a team that was set up to lose games 4-3 as far as the kind of offensive uh, firepower that they brought in by adding Giroux and adding Dabrinkit and stuff like that. And I think Anaheim is in a similar situation in so much as like the moves that they have made should improve the offense. It should improve the power play, but none of it makes them, I guess, a more competitive team night in and night out because the defense is still largely suspect. So I think they're in a position similarly where they were going into last season, but maybe you're a little bit more optimistic. And we saw this bear out for the beginning of the season, which is, um, what? Shut up. You don't care. DB. That's not whatever. Yeah. Sorry. I just saw them instead of Lacombe. They're, they're, Chad's grilling you for that one. So that's fine. (laughs) From Jason Lacombe. Um, but no, but like, I think for me, you know, we saw it uh, at the beginning of the, this last season where it was, we need good goaltending and a power play. Yeah. Well, the goaltending is the goaltending. I, you know, uh, we can have that argument closer to the season as far as what are we expecting from John Gibson? Who is he at this point? Is he three years, the last three years, is he three years before that? Is he somewhere in the middle? You know, is this a Corey Schneider? He's burned into the ground just on bad teams kind of thing. But at the very least, there is more promise with the power play this year uh, than there was last year based simply on offensive ability. I think, you know, bringing in Klingberg and Strom and Vetrano gives you the opportunity to have three meaningful pieces to spread over two power play units. Yeah. Um, and that can hopefully help, you know, raise i guess raise the ceiling a little bit but even then that's not necessarily right but like you know they can kind of have a baby ranger season right which where somebody pops for a bunch of goals a lot of their offense is entirely on the power play and the goalie plays strong enough to keep them in more games than not and they win a bunch of games i don't think we're expecting gibson to be shesterkin next year i don't think anybody is expecting oh shit i don't know would it be Adam Henrique would be Chris Kreider and just randomly put 50 goals up. Like, right. Like, I don't think anybody's expecting that, but I think if you said this team finished closer to 85, 90 points and missed a wild card spot by five to 10 points, that seems at this point more likely than finishing in the bottom five of the league. Yeah. You know, I mean, cause we talked about this and it was like, well, who are you going to add to this team? That's going to make them blah, blah, blah. And my thing was just like, there's no defense. Well, there's still not a ton of defense, but the offense has improved enough that I think now you can safely say with the growth that you're hoping comes from the kids um, and the, the talent that they've added through the three free agent signings, they have a puncher's chance in most games now, Yeah, right? There's not a ton of games where you're going to be like, oh, they're, they're just completely out of it from the beginning. Yeah, and th- there seems to be a clear way they want to play based off the acquisitions if you and this might all be coincidence but I I would like to say it's not but when you look at the underlying numbers for a lot of these guys and the like advanced analytics when you look at their skill sets like Strom, Vitrano, Klingberg are all very efficient transition players 
and Zegris proved to be one of the better in the league last year. Same with Troy Terry. There seems to be like an, an approach here that they are just gonna go for it <laughs> at all all times. Yeah, and, and listen, exactly. it, could, it, it could work. Like there are obviously there are gonna be situations where they're gonna be caught up in their own end and. Um, you know, Klingberg, again, we've talked about his defensive efficiencies here and being able to kind of guard against, uh, you know, entries and, and carry in his, his entry targets per 60 aren't great. Carry percentage against isn't great. Chances against percentages, they're, they're, you know, bottom tier of the league. But everything else, when you look at his controlled entries, his controlled exits, his own entries per 60, you know, his shot assists, everything, like they're up there. Vetrano, again, when we looked at his analytics, when we talked about him, that's you know a skill set that he possesses, and you add that to the mix that the Ducks have, and all of a sudden, like there's a clear kind of style they want to at least attempt to try next year and see how it works with these guys. And they've added players who kind of fit that mold. And you know, for us, before the offseason started, we were talking about how can the Ducks be better next year. We're looking at this team. There's no way they're going to be better. They've lost Lindholm. They've lost Raquel. They've lost Manson, and. Mm-hmm. I feel like they've done a pretty good job, right? Like, you haven't fully replaced those types of players, and the defense is still arguably worse than it was before you had when you had Lindholm and Manson. But, you know, adding John Klingberg goes a long way of just making that blue line a lot more, have a lot more stability to it. Ryan Strom is a very good addition to the top six. I'd argue he's better than, than Ricard Raquel, or, you know, it's, it's at least close, right? Um, mm-hmm. Along the same par, I would say Strom's consistency has been a bit higher than Vitrano's been one of the better middle six forwards in terms of consistency that we've had in a while. You know, there, there's still another forward that Verbeek wants to add. It was supposed to be Nino Niederreiter, but Roman Yossi dumped that mm-hmm. one uh, for us. I mean, you imagine this team with Nino Niederreiter next year, and um, they're looking pretty exciting if they had had him. And, you know, I don't know who they're going to go out and add now. We've talked about the options in free agency, but. Whether you get that through a trade, somebody like Beauvillier or Connor Garland or Martin Netchash or whatever, if you want to go big and swing for somebody, there's a there's a chance, right, that this team looks pretty fun next year. It's it's gonna be tough, and again, it's gonna hinge on a, a lot of guys coming back and doing what they did last year. Is Troy Terry gonna be able to be the same type of player? I would imagine mm-hmm. he probably is, be, just looking at what he did last year. It's it didn't look like a lot of luck. We've seen lucky seasons from players before. Troy Terry looked like a superstar last year in every sense of the word, right? Like he was controlling play and, and setting things up for himself. He wasn't a passenger on a line and had a good year. Like he was getting it done himself. So I would say he can come back and still be a thirty goal scorer, sixty, seventy point guy. Trevor Zegris again, we've talked about can he come back and do the same thing? He looks like he should be able to do that. And then you get into you know what Scott Wheeler said. What's the type of season that Mason McTavish is going to have? He expects that right. he, he doesn't think it's out of the realm of possibility that McTavish could come in next year and be like a 20, 20, 25 goal, 20 assist guy next year if all things go right for him. Okay, well, now you've replaced some, you know, Sonny Milano's production. You've added a few more goals to that and you brought in a player like that. Adam Henrique, again, you know, Jakob Silver comes in. Max Jones comes into the lineup. What do you get from him? Does Isaac Lindstrom take another step forward? You know, do Perot and Tracy get in a few more games and really launch off? Hell, all you need, I mean, you almost just need Lindstrom to not take a step back. Even ignoring yeah. production, you mm-hmm. kind of just need the, the, because I think it's safe to say that, like, his defense dramatically improved over the course of the year. Um, and, you know, I think his underlying numbers bear that out that, like, it, he he was improving as the season went on despite 
it feeling like the team as a whole was getting worse. Like it just, you know, he he was just getting experience. He was getting better. If he doesn't take a step back, I think that's a huge thing, right? I don't even necessarily know that he needs to take another step forward so much as just not regress. And if he doesn't, that's a really big spot for Anaheim to be in. You know, exactly like you were saying, like, the most risky move of the group is probably Klingberg, and it's a one-year move, so there's almost no risk anyways. Plus, if there's some kind of, you know, I mean, at this point, you know, not to rehash it, but I guess at this point you could almost say the riskiest move Verbeek has made is keeping Agins, because, you know, what could a different coach do with this lineup? Now, right. We have had this conversation a thousand different times in a thousand different ways. There's things to like about Aikens that I think make him a good fit for right now. But there is something to be said of, like, they just added three pretty solid players. Is it maybe more of someone like a McClellan that you should be looking for as far as a guy who's going to come in and instill a system and, and create a structure for the team to kind of grow within? And, and I don't I don't know, right? That's kind of, I think, also similar to, like, what Sheldon Keefe was. Yeah. Uh, he was a guy that was gonna, you know, kind of come in and, and, and install a system and allow these kids to grow within it and improve. And I think, you know, they've gotten better over years and yada yada yada. Um it's just it's it's a lot of potential reward for very little risk. And I'm going to be very curious to see what um Dallas Akins does with this group next year because I think he has been given an opportunity as far as uh, Pat Verbeek, you know, explicitly saying, like, it was a weird year last year, and I don't know that it's fair to judge Eakins on what was just a really weird year. Like, it, it was just a weird year, and I'm not going to hold it against him necessarily. I think he's earned the right to give this another little bit of a go, but at the same time, you can't say that Pat Verbeek hasn't put him in a position to succeed or at least be more successful, yeah. right? Like. This roster is clearly better uh, last year. Like the thing that you lost. No, well, no, let me not say it that way. <clears throat> I think this roster has an opportunity to be more successful than the one last year. Yep. I think there are still significant holes. I still think ultimately losing two very strong defensive defensemen in Lindholm and Manson is going to be an issue, but I think. You'll get more out of Ryan Strom over 82 games than you got out of Ryan Getzloff, right? Just because age. Uh, I think Frank Vetrano is going to come in more with something to prove than Raquel, who was just kind of in a weird spot where it was just kind of always waiting to get sent out. Um, Klingberg is an improvement for, you know, even just chance generation from the back end on this team. So there's going to be an opportunity here for Aikens to squeeze a little bit more juice out of this, I think, than he was in a position to do last year. And there's no reason for them not to fire him. It's a one-year extension, you know, that kicks in. It's a a team option. And I said it before, and I think it's probably more so true now, is like I don't know that he's the coach by the time we get to think – by the time we get to Valentine's Day. Yeah, it's it's definitely possible. At least you know, not re-signed at the end of the season. Um, but I, I like I agree with. You. I, I think what they've done. Like I think Strom replaces Ricard Raquel um, with a bit more of a consistent offensive 
threat than what Raquel brought. I really do like Ricard Raquel, and I, and, and I love. You know, I think that's more of Vitrano though, because and, and I was gonna say Vitrano is more consistent and has a better track record than say Milano, who we lost. That's fair. Okay, if you want to put those two in that that way, to but me, I think like, I, like the, the Strom gets life comparison does make sense as well, right? So. And, and just so and, much as it's a depth playmaker veteran yeah. center thing, right? Yeah. I, I, you know, we don't want to get out of, out ahead of ourselves completely and sound like we're saying Ryan Strom is the next Getzloff. But like, as far as coming in and, and being in a meaningful member of an offensive unit, Ryan Strom is going to come in and be able to help lift the bottom a little bit on the amount of offense this team can generate. Yeah, and and I think when you look at that forward group, there there's more confidence in other guys who had bad years stepping up than there is guys who had good years stepping down, right? Like I think we're confident that Zegers and Terry are going to be able to continue. Adam Henrique has been kind of the picture of consistency over the last couple of years, other than that little stint that got him waived. Oh, he has, and even came back from that, obviously, and put up a great year. Uh, Strom and Vetrano have shown over the last three seasons that they can put up a consistent output. You you kind of know what you can expect from them. Um, and, and again, like I said, with Zegers and Terry, you kind of know what you, sh- you should be getting from them based off the way they played. So then it's, okay, Maxim Comtois, you really can't take a step back, right, than what he did last yeah. year. Yeah. So arguably, fair. he if he's the same, then okay, but he should be better next year and he should get some better opportunities. So there's a guy who could take a massive step forward, you think, from getting back to that 40 to 50-point range that he was in when he led the Ducks to scoring two seasons ago. Max Jones, what is you know, what is he right now? We have no idea. You know, a healthy Max Jones who can start right from the beginning of the season to get some chances. That could be a guy who could surprise and all of a sudden get, you know, fifteen goals and put up thirty points or so. So there's an offensive boost from him. And we talk Mason McTavish again. And what does he come in and do? And does he make a, a big impact right off the bat? And the Ducks are still in the market for another forward to go and and add to that. So I think, yeah, the forward group hundred percent with another addition is gonna be better than it was last year and at least be a bit more consistent and have a, a bit of a better um, plan in place for wh- how the way they want to play. The only question mark, again, then, yeah, becomes on, on the defensive side of things in replacing the defensive aspect of Josh Manson and that physicality and Hampus Lindholm and, and his ability to shut down opposing players. So you, you haven't done that. I don't think they will do that. But Klingberg is a massive step in that direction to at least adding another capable defender to that blue line. And, you know John Gibson is going is is going to be a valuable asset for this team. So it makes it a lot more exciting for next season than I think we thought it would be. I, I if you had told me before the offseason that the Ducks were going to add, you know, Ryan Strom and John Klingberg in free agency, I would have laughed at you and said there's no way that's not possible. They're going to do the bare minimum and add some bad bad contracts to get over the cap floor, but I'll give I'll give Paverbeek the credit he deserves right now, man. He has surprised me this offseason, made a lot of smart, shrewd decisions, and the, the Ducks are at the very least going to be fun next year. And as DB Larry puts in the chat, like the worst case scenario here is the team sucks and you're in the you're in the mix for Connor Bedard next year, right? Like and you you move Klingberg at the deadline, you move Shattenkirk at the deadline, you get some more assets and you just continue the plan you had from the beginning, right? You've given yourself a good opportunity to be better, but if it doesn't pan out, that plan is still in place to continue the rebuild you don't have to really start from scratch with anything yeah so real quick do you have the cap friendly page up in front of you right yep. now close it or how much were you seriously looking at i just had it open all right do you know who how many players have trade protection left on this I, I believe silverberg does uh and maybe henrique 
Okay. So I was, anybody else? I, I would. I don't think Gibson does. I can't remember him having it. I would say three to four guys have it, and that's it. Six. Does Strowman have and have it or no? Nope. Who am I missing? Oh, probably Cam, Here. right? Henrique, Klingberg, Cam, Shattenkirk, Silverberg, and Gibson. Okay. That's not bad. No, I don't know. And like you're, you're just... not getting, you're not, you know, Silverberg. No matter what, I don't think it's getting moved. Um, Henrique, there's been interest, and I think it is possible to move even with that production because it's not that bad, right? It's like a ten team, ten team no trade. Same as what Klingbergs yeah. would be. Fowler's is the only hard one, but you again, you're not really looking to move that. He has a four team trade list. Like that's that's a guy who's going to likely stick around for a while. Shattenkirk's is a twelve team yeah. no trade, so it's possible to move him. And Gibson's is a ten team no trade, so you have you had to go down that road. So it's like. Yeah, you got some trade protection, but you don't have like what the stars have, where they handed you know Ben and Sagan no, full no move clauses, and you're stuck in, you know, having them having to wave basically to whatever option suits them at that point. So it's just such a disaster. The, if if the only it's tough so... one is Cam with a four team trade list, but he he's at six and a half for four years, like that's that's fine. I mean, you, you yeah, I I think at this point you can say that one of Cam and Gibson. Uh, are the worst contracts on the team. And I think, well, yeah, because of the term. Uh, I guess you could say Silverbirds, but he's only got two years left and you can put him on LTIR or whatever, um, you know, at this point. And so I think at that point, if those are your two worst contracts, I think you're fine with it. Um, the ceiling on what both of them can be is high enough to be worth it. And they both have a... Um, a built like they both have a relationship with the fan base, right? They're two players that that mean a lot to this fan base. have have been part of the contending team since they were kids and things like that. So, you know, those are the two guys that are on your bad contracts. I think you're in a perfectly fine spot. There's a lot uh, worse ways to be. Yeah, there's um, a lot of teams out there who have some some bad deals that they've really backed. This team was one of them very recently. Yeah. Yep. You know what I mean? Like that's that's the thing about it. And you know, so I, I again, I just think. The thing that I, I keep think, coming back to for me is just everything with Pat Verbeek is just about creating options and opportunities moving forward and about not closing yourself off to anything. Yeah. They've still got tons of cap space. They've got movable assets. They've got players who are going to be interesting at the deadline, players who could be interesting in hockey trades before that. You know, Gauthier is signed. Mitchikov is signed. Depending on how they look at camp and about where their timeline is, I don't know that you can't think that maybe Mahura and I don't know, somebody else probably are, are gone. Like, yeah. you know, uh, by the end of this year, I don't think that would be surprising by any stretch. Uh, I think you could say Lundestrom could be on the way out. Comtois could be on the way out again. We've talked about it and we very much don't want it to happen. Uh, but I think Max Jones remains a fascinating piece for a contending team. Yeah. Two years left. Right? Uh, Next year, two yeah. years left. A low cap hit. Tons to prove. He's still really young. He plays with a, uh, you know, with an, an an energy and an edge that a lot of teams crave. Like, there's a lot there. I just think this team has a lot of options moving forward, and it's really nice to see. Again, like we said, when we were the before, is it's just a series of moves that make sense, and it's nice. It's just everything makes sense. There's nothing that has been done so far that, to me, has prevented this team from improving over time yeah so no i i completely agree and, and that that's the refreshing thing to see about this is like yeah the strom deal was like the longest and maybe borderline 
It's not bad, but it's not great. But you know, it's five by five. It's it's movable if you had to get out of it, and there's absolutely no trade pro- no trade protection on Strom's deal whatsoever. So you can move that anywhere if there's a team that's interested. You could use it as a cap dump if you really ever had to get out of it, and you know wouldn't have to pay too much to to really get out of that full deal. I mean, yeah, I also think you don't. Like, I think we talked about this before, and it's just one of those things. Like, you also don't have to dump it. Like, yeah. Five million, you know, the cap is expected to jump in 24, uh, even if that deal, you know, turns a little sour in the fourth and fifth year, it, you know, Henrique is probably gone by then. Silverberg is gone by then. Like the the contracts uh, that would make it hard to deal with now are already gone. Yeah. So, you know, the team's going to be in a different, you know, point of view. The only guy who's still going to be on the books at that point are Fowler, Zegris, Drysdale, and Terry when they sign their extensions. Those are the only guys that are officially going to be on the books. I, I don't see Comtois signing a five-year extension. I don't see, you know, Lindstrom um, after Maybe Gibson. Years. Yeah, maybe. And Fowler, right? Yeah, I guess Gibson actually still would be, yeah, because he still has five years left. So Gibson, Fowler, and then Zegris, Terry, oh, three kids. And, yeah. uh, and Drysdale because they'll sign their extensions beforehand. So if that's the position you're in and like that turns out to be the only kind of contract that you have, then you're, you're like, you're fine with that. It's only five. Yeah. Million and yeah. You, you've got maybe two bad years of it. Cause I think you're going to get at least two to three good years out of Ryan Strom. It's only 29. So, you know, you get a good kind of 30, 31, 32 year old season out of him. And then we'll see where he is at that point and whether he starts to kind of turn down at 33, 34, but then you're just, you're, you are where you are with Silverberg right now. Right. Two years left mm-hmm. on a deal that's more than he should be making, but it's manageable. Yeah, I, yeah, no, it's it's. And we lose that Perry buyout next year too, so. Yeah, I mean, like yeah, I just, you know, if if you're stuck with Vetrano in year three and and Strom in years four and five, like I just don't think it's it's hampering anything. I just don't think. There's any reason to think that is going to prevent Anaheim from being competitive. Like you said, they're very movable, but I also think they're just very, just kind of okay. You're a third line now, like that's five million dollars for a third line center. If the cap is closer to you know eighty seven, eighty nine million dollars, like that's not a big deal, right? I mean, there's expected to be a, a, a not insignificant jump in the twenty four summer, and I think it is. You know, very easy to say that those two guys, you know, those deals are easy to eat. So, I just think there's there's a lot to be excited about. I'm, I'm rambling and repeating myself, and I'm, I'm sorry, but there's just it's a lot. It's just nice. It's just very comforting that everything makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, we got two other smaller signings. You mentioned one briefly. Nathan Gauthier signed his entry level contract to join Pavel Mintukov. Now, well, I'll start this off with prefacing this is normal for CHL players to sign their entry-level contract, especially first-round picks, um, because there is no restriction. Like college players, the reason Thrun and Lacombe haven't signed is because you can't be a professional and play in the NCAA, so they can't sign until they want to basically leave the NCAA. Um, Overseas players, you see it sometimes, but usually you only see it signed when they want to come over from Europe. Sometimes you see it a little bit sooner. Uh, But with the CHL players, it, it happens all the time. So... Goche doesn't mean he'll play next year, doesn't mean Minchukov play next year. All it does is it, it leaves the door open that they could. I think Goche has a better chance than Mintukov does. I think they both need another year of development in the interior or in the CHL. But I know there's been some people, especially I've seen on Twitter, that uh, are giving Goche a chance, like a shout to maybe nail down a, 
a third third line role with the Ducks next year, just depending on how he does in camp, because he definitely has the size to do it now. I think he's six three, nearing two hundred pounds already, if not over that. Um, yeah, I mean that's something Scott said, yeah. right? He said Gauthier could walk into the locker room and he would not be one of the smaller guys right off the bat. Yeah. Like he would physically not look out of place. Yeah. Um, you know, which is interesting because I think that's a little different than you know how it's felt before with Terry being the skinny kid and Zegers being a kitty skinny kid and, and, and Drysdale being the skinny kid and, and a lot of these guys just being real beanpole type players. You know, I mean, even Shea Theodore when he came in real early on, sorry. Uh, but, you know, I mean, he was just a skinny kid. Yeah. And, you know, have guys like Minchikov's already got some good meat on him. He's got good size. He's six one, I think, right around 200. Yeah. Gauthier's the same. I think Gauthier might even be closer to 210. Um, and he's six three. I think, is what you said. Like, uh, you know, physically it does seem like there's a chance uh, – these kids could step in and, and, and maybe make the team a little bit. I, I would at least get a trial, right? We saw Lindstrom in his first year drafted as a late first round pick get nine games. We saw McTavish get nine games last year of all the guys, you know, that the ducks have up front of prospects or the forward prospects. I, he could be a guy. I see, like I, I think it's easy for the ducks to say Perot and Tracy started this in the AHL because they can, I think Goche gets a chance there, depending on how he does at rookie camp and at training camp and in preseason, that um, he could get a shout, right? Just a chance to plug in there, depending on who the Ducks add up front and if there's a lot of room for him. But maybe you play him. Um, you know, if Silverberg's not ready, there's a roster spot open there, and you give him a third-line role and see how he does. And, and maybe it works out. Maybe he becomes a checker, or maybe at the very least it just is those nine games to give him a taste, and then you send him back down to junior because – I think I, for the times that we talk about, you know, McTavish and Zellweger, and it doesn't make sense to send those guys back to junior because they have nothing left to prove because they've just dominated to a level that they can go back and what are they going to just basically do that the same? There's only as high of a ceiling you can really go in a league like that where you're basically the best players are ready. Goche, I think it, it could almost be the same thing just at a different level. Well, he's not going to gain anything physically, and if that if it, if at junior his offensive ceiling is that that he's going to be just above a point per game player, then is is there much left for him to prove at that level? Right? Is mm-hmm. he was on a team and he's, and he's going to go back to a team that is fairly deep and that he's not going to be the number one option. He might not even be given that opportunity next year, so he's going to go back and slot into the same role and do a lot of the same things that he did in Quebec last year. Not a ton of opportunity necessarily to take on some more offensive um, responsibility and, and bump those numbers up a bit. So if he shows out well and gets and looks good in his nine game stint in Anaheim and there's a spot for him, I think because of the type of game he plays, he could stick around. Of all the guys that they have that that could stick around after getting a nine game stint, I think he's the most likely just because of the profile of player that he is right now. I think the Ducks are kind of like yeah, Goche. I think. I th- and because I think with Minchukov, there's, okay. there's more to prove. Defensively, we're he wasn't great at the junior level, so he's mm-hmm. got to go and prove that he can do that. I I would argue that yeah, Goche can prove that he can be better offensively in junior, but is he going to be given that opportunity? So then I put him in the same boat as as McTavish. Is it, does he have anything to prove to, at the junior level to go back and do the same thing? All right, real quick, we're going to do two things right now. One is you were getting you you got to something that I was curious about, which is of all the the young players, yeah, who who has like which of the players who have an outside shot 
to make it play the whole season next year with Anaheim. And the second thing is we're going to talk about how to say this kid's name. You were saying Gautier? I think it's Gautier because usually go, There's go, no Gautier. There's or, yeah, or man, I isn't it G A C U? Because usually G A U C H E R. Yeah, G A U C H E R. Usually, Goche is like Freddie Goche from the Leafs, where it's T H I E R, and that's like Gautier, like Gautier. Sure. I I gotta find the French pronunciation of this because we gotta figure it out. My French. If you, anybody in the chat knows, please tell my us. My French doesn't I'm not extend good. I don't beyond get elementary school, so. <laughs> I don't think your English did either. No. It's fine. Uh. And then, okay, so is it is it Gaucher for you then? Is it Nate the Great? Is that the one yeah, you cause think? Because for me, it's Selweger. Yeah, that's the other one. I think McTavish I, is I, the, um, the shoe-in, right? Like, he basically has a spot on the roster right now. I think I think of everyone, he's the most likely at this point. Yeah. Of someone who didn't play, you know, 60 games last year to be on the team. I think physically, I think the role... Uh, that he can fill the different kind of positions that he can play for the team. I, I I think he is as close to on the team as it's possible. Yeah. Um, but and then the next tier down is Tracy, is Perot, is yeah. some of those types of guys, and that's where you get into Hunter Drew, or maybe you know even if you want to say Olin Zellweger, and like I think Olin Zellweger has a better chance than Tracy and Perot, and not because. I think he's more NHL ready or significantly better than them just because of the ease of putting them in the AHL to start the year, right? That it's just easy to place them there because they can yeah, move there. Yeah, that's a fair point. Um, with, where I think, you know, McTavish and Zellweger, it's junior or NHL. So they're either going to play a lot of games in the NHL or they're going to go back to junior. Those are their only two options. Right. Where Tracy and Perot can play 20, 30 games with San Diego see how they do and then get a call up based on injuries or if you end up sending McTavish back or whoever back that you have, you know, an open roster spot at that point. So I think McTavish is as close to a lock as you can get. It takes something, um, you know, something dramatic, I think, for him to not play to start the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't see what he has to gain from at every level he dominated last year. Uh, there's really nothing to gain from sending him back. But, yeah, I would put Zellweger right in that mix. The only reason I don't have Zellweger above Goche right now is because I do think there's only one roster spot available on that blue line with Klingberg signing. I think before Klingberg signing, I would have put Zellweger above Goche just because it's now So Fowler. one in six or one in seven? What? Uh, no, he's gonna, if he's going to play, one yeah, one in six. I don't think they keep him okay. around to be the seventh guy. Unless it is, again, a nine-game trial, like we've seen with some guys, where that nine-game trial is over 11 or 12 games and you're kind of a healthy scratch for one or two of those games, then you get sent back down. Maybe there. But if we're talking about who could play the most games, he's not going to stick around all year and not play the majority of the games, right? Like he's not going to be a healthy scratch, I think, for 15 or 20 games and stay at the NHL level. I just don't see how that that benefits him. If you don't think he's ready to get that responsibility, then you send him back and bring him back next year where he has that AHL eligibility. And if he's not playing at the NHL level, you can send him back down to San Diego. At least he's playing at that point. He needs to play. Um, So I I think skill level-wise, Zellweger probably is the better shot, but it's just with that one roster spot available because it's Klingberg and Fowler, Vakaninen and Drysdale. And then Shattenkirk and Vakaninen seems like he's gonna get that that spot and play. Or if you want to, if you, you sure want to replace Vakaninen, you could say Benoit. Benoit. Yeah, yeah. You could say I Benoit. almost feel like Simon Benoit has a likelier shot at than Vakaninen just because. Yeah. 
one of those guys has a nailed down roster spot for next year. And I and I think if you want to say the amount of games they played in the Ducks uniform, then I could I could I could agree with you. Benoit probably has that over. I also I also think Benoit provides you know a, a different element that this team just doesn't have. You know, like Vakanainen to me seems like Cam-ish, yeah. where he's going to be a, a puck-moving transitional guy, not necessarily stand out in one end or the other, but more about just making good decisions using skating, using reach, and things like that. And, like, that's fine. But I just think there's nobody in the on that blue line right now that is going to cross-check somebody. Like, there just isn't, and that bothers me sure. because – you're going to get people to stand in front of the net. You're going to get people that are going to go after Gibby. And, you know, John Klingberg and his offensive prowess doesn't do you any good in the box. Mm-hmm. So you need somebody else who can go out there and just kind of handle shit. We've heard, um, and we've been a part of it, everybody joked about the all-gas, no-breaks approach from defense. I'm just dre- thinking <laughs> of, like, adding Selweger to that mix. <laughs> like, just, like, fully, oh my God, fully committing real. to that. And like, it's not it's not that Selweger's bad defensively. Scott Wheeler talked about how he actually is really good defensively, and a lot of that has to do with his skating. It's just that bombing up the ice approach, like the adding that to Fowler, to Klingberg, to Drysdale, to Shattenkirk, and then Benoit is left on his own to kind of be the only guy who doesn't do that. Um, yeah, he just kind of becomes the responsible one. Yeah, I, I, listen, like in an ideal world for me, McTavish plays the majority of the season, or the whole season, right? Um, maybe a few games here or there he sits um, back-to-back, so whatever if you want to do that. And then Selweger and Goche get nine-game trials, and we'll see how they do. Do they, you know, whether they grab it or not depends on how they play, uh, and I think it should be based on that. If Selweger shows that he can play after nine games, then you keep him up. If Goche shows that he can stick around and, and be a part of this roster and is better than the guys that he that he's displacing from the roster, then you keep him up. So... That would be ideal for me of seeing those two guys get some nine game stints because I do believe Mintikov should go back down over Zellweger. If there is that one spot we're talking about, I think it's Mintikov mm-hmm. who goes down. Um, and then up front, you know, I, I again, like I said with Tracy and Perot, they it's easier to start them in San Diego. And of all the other forward prospects we have left, I would say, you know, Gochae over Pastuov, right? Just in terms of being ready. I think Pastuov needs to go back and show that he can be that 90 to 100 point player at the OHL level mm-hmm. um, and you know, I don't think uh, you know Shigeru no you know guys like that they still need another year they still need more development so I I would put Goche as that other guy so I think we're really only talking then about three guys is McTavish and Zellweger and it's Goche as guys who could get an extended look out of camp and maybe a bit more than a nine game stint depending on how they do yeah yeah um I mean, how awesome would it be if it was, like, the one guy who stood out coming out of camp was, like, Leno or Warren? Yeah. Because, oh. I don't know where they like play Noah now. Warren, they, they've, no they've Warren just spot. being ready. Like, oh. That would be would great. Be, my heart needs this. I just, I need a big punchy boy. And that, that kid's a beast. Yeah, I, like, I, so. I know they want, obviously, him to, to work on the offensive side again. But, like, again, like, if we're talking – being NHL ready and having the size, like he definitely has that. He's six five, like oh, yeah. twenty, so he's definitely physically ready um, to get at the NHL level. But yeah, like the, I, I think the only tough thing for him now is the Klingberg signing has now 
shored up the right side of defense for the top three, right? It's Klingberg, Drysdale, Shattenkirk. It just makes sense. So bye, Kevin. Yeah. So unless unless <laughs> Kevin unless, unless Shattenkirk's moved before the start of the season, um, you we have to play him. Zellweger so. Warren, dude. Let's go. That's gonna be the second pair, Zellweger Warren. Yeah. In I don't know four years. I'm hoping. It'll be a lot of fun. It would be a lot of fun because I think Warren is a, a lot better skater than he gets credit for at six five. Um, Although I probably imagine they might put Leno. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Warren. Thrawn, yeah. Warren's side. probably yeah, a third. Yeah. So the, the defense is looking good, though. Ooh. Inchikov, Driesdale. Then you go Zellweger and Leno. We still have Hallison, too, right? I mean, we didn't even talk about him as being another option um, to get some time. But again, I, I just feel like somebody, I think DB Lowry mentioned in here Hallison or uh, Hunter Drew and. Clay Dog just mentioned Hellas and his guys who could play next year. They go in the same boat for me as Tracy and Perot. It's just being easier to start the year in San Diego because you have that option. Yeah. Where you don't need to hand a nine-game trial to start the year because they can come up at any point after you make a decision on the guys who you do you do give a nine-game trial to, right? Like, there is no nine-game trial for Hellas and there is no nine-game trial for Hunter Drew. They can come up and play, and there's no entry-level contract slide. Because they are able to play at the AHL level. So I don't see them getting in the lineup to start the year just because of that. Just because mm-hmm. if you want to hand that to Zellweger and you want to hand that to Goche, then I think that takes precedence. And whether then, you know, if they get sent back down to junior, okay, maybe at that point you, you bring that guy up and you give him a chance if he starts the season well. You've just got that flexibility. I think you need to take advantage of that. Is that if you really do want to get a look at Zellweger for nine games, so if you really do want to look at, get a look at Goche for nine games, you take advantage of that and then you get a look at some of these AHL guys as the season goes on, as injuries happen, and you need mm-hmm. to bring guys up. So I, I just think it, it makes a bit more sense to do it that way. But, man, I would love, at the very least, to see Zellweger and McTavish stick around for the whole year and prove that they could play at the nhl level i think that would be amazing if you add goche to the mix or at least a nine game trial for goche that'd be a lot of fun yeah i agree they should you should be able to have a nine game trial in like december yeah just come up at any point yeah you should just be able to like have a nine game stand like you can just like i don't know what would you make the rules like you you have to play your nine games in 14 you have to play nine of 14 right like You can't four ten off four ten off or like that kind of shit. But like, you know, it would be cool to just be able to, you know, like if Pastyov right was blow like when he blew up early next year and they were just like, fuck it, bring him up. Let's just see what he's got. You're, you know, it's not like we're not yeah. in need of offensive talent on the wings. Bring him up, see what he's got, and probably goes back down and you do what he does. But you know, I just think it'd be, it, it, I'm sure, I'm sure more than a few people. I've mentioned this. I just had never thought about it until right now, but I think yeah, neither did I. It'd uh, be an interesting addition or, or kind of adjustment to the rule between the CHL and the NHL to just yeah. kind of have that happen at any point where you can move these guys into a nine-game trial. And even if it is December or January or whatever, maybe you have a cutoff point once you get closer to playoffs. Like maybe it is January or whatever, February, that they have to have this nine-game trial for. Yeah, I feel like you would have to say, like, honestly, like January 1 or something is the cutoff, right? Because you can't, you know. You can't be calling these guys up midseason because it does affect the CHL teams. Exactly. And, you know, especially that's what, a little bit before the CHL trade deadline and all that kind of stuff. Like you want, you don't, like, the point of the agreement is to, you know, play nice and make it easy. Yeah, well, you don't want to piss them in off. In three months' it. time, they could their seasons could be over and they could come up and play 
AHL hockey because that again the the rule mm-hmm. the agreement adjusts for that. So I think yeah, having that that kind of Jan one cutoff that it has to happen in twenty twenty two this year, right? Um, to right. get those nine games in, I, I I do like that. I think that that does give you some flexibility. That like you said, if a guy just starts off really hot and you just say, hey, like we want to want to give you a chance, or there's an injury here and you know, we don't like what we're seeing for some of these guys in in the mm-hmm. AHL. Okay, come up, show us what you got. Um, I don't know if the CHL would ever agree to that because I don't think they want to lose their guys after that point into the season. But it would be it'd be provide some nice flexibility. Oh, that's a great point. Yeah, because right now, like, it's you, like what happens if you just keep them? Yeah, like you know, <laughs> no, no, you have to send them back. You you know that at the very least, like it's going to be nine games. At, that you're gonna you're gonna miss, and I don't know how many that equates to at the CHL level, and how many games you, they would right. miss. But they don't play during midweeks usually, so you're probably only missing three or four team games before you have to come back, and your team has to make a decision there. Um, and then yeah, if they keep you, you know at some point like you might get them back. Now you do that during the middle of the season, it makes it a little bit tougher, I think, on those teams to to really get a look at what they have and figure out their their roster and if. You know, if a team calls a guy up like December 10th, right, and you're trying to make trying to make plans or make a push to be better before the deadline, and you they take your best player and you lose a bunch of games, and now you're in seller mode, like yeah, all of a sudden that's going to be it's a lot different if you lose the first four games of the season versus losing right. four or five games in the middle of the season when you're kind of fighting for a position to figure out what kind of team you are. Well, I'm glad we came up with and then deconstructed. Uh... <laughs> Our idea. This is a great idea. We should do the. Oh, well, actually, no. These are all of the really legitimate reasons why it'll never happen. Okay, moving on. Uh, um, we got we got to talk. So Ole yeah, Ulevi, the only... right? there's the last one. Oli Ulevi, and then there's two other things we got to cover. Okay, uh, we'll be quick okay. on Ulevi. Uh, eight games yeah, no last worries. year with Detroit. Won no points. Uh, no points in ten games with the Panthers. One assist in three games with the Checkers. So he's kind of all over the place. Only played 21 games of hockey last year. I don't know if he was injured or not. Um, I haven't followed Ulevi too much since his days in the, with the London Knights, uh, playing with Max Jones. We saw, I think most of us saw Max Jones a tweet after uh, Ulevi was signed that he was pretty excited about it. Um, at one point, highly touted prospect, former fifth overall pick by the Vancouver Canucks. I'm always a fan of these deals, right? Just bringing these guys back that were drafted that high. There was a reason they were drafted that high at, at one point in their career. Um, you know, some size there. He's 6'2", 182. He's only 24. Like, I, I don't hate it. I don't hate it at all. And, and he'll get an opportunity to earn that sixth roster spot or be a 6'7", right off the bat. He'll be competing with Mahura and Benoit and Vakanainen for that spot. Basically takes over what Larson was doing yeah. last year. Um, and again, like, you know, with Larson, it was always, he was a first round pick that didn't kind of grow into that and, and fulfill those expectations. And now you just bring in another guy who is in that same mold and, and see what you can get out of him. Right. You knew what you had in Larson internally and how he was going to fit in your organization. It just wasn't going to work out. So I like it. Um, whether he sticks around or not is, well, we'll see, but I, I I like adding another unknown name to that mix as a potential, you know, six man on the roster, right? Like we've we've kind of seen what we've seen from Mahura, we know what we're gonna get from Benoit, so I like that kind of unknown aspect of Ulevi jumping in here, and you know maybe he pops off, maybe he gels well with Drysdale, maybe he gels well with Shattenkirk, and things things start to pan out for him. Yeah, I mean, 
you know, I think I, I think when you put it the way you put it, it just it really clicked for me what it was doing, which is he comes in and he replaces Larson, and more than that, he replaces Larson and Gouli, right? Because yeah. Gouli went over to Sweden, Switzerland, one of the two. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Larson, you know, they just didn't qualify, and he walked, and he's wherever the hell he is now. Ottawa, um, he's in Ottawa. <laughs> oh, and they said they don't have any defense in that team. I know, I know. Um. So, yeah, I just think it provides them another guy who's probably going to spend most of the year in the AHL. Uh, he will probably come up two, three times throughout the year. Uh, if there's an injury or something, get a fill-in spot, see how he does. He's obviously going to have an opportunity coming out of camp to earn uh, a depth roster spot, but I don't think there's necessarily any pressure on him. He's a guy got along with Max Jones. They played in London together, like you said. Uh, they were on the team that won, won a chip, right? Yeah, I, I believe so. I should know this, but I'm trying to remember from Ulevi's time there if he was still around when they won because Jones won with Kachuk when Kachuk was there. So he was so, either there when they won or left right uh Yeah, because they were right in the same draft. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, I think they were there together. I think the Knights won that season. Uh, but, you know, I mean, it just seems like there's a lot of little bits here about what he can provide, who he kind of gets along with and things like that, that just it's simple. It's exciting. Uh, and and like you said, it's it's better than the Cody Curran thing, right, which isn't a shot at Cody Curran. It's Cody Curran was 30. If you weren't going to bring him up, what was necessarily what was the point? Taking a guy like this, I think similar to kind of what we talked about with Elvin is for a little bit. It's just, it's a guy that he's young enough that he can still improve and, and develop into, you know, a, an NHL regular. Uh, like you said, the pedigree is obviously there. He was taken fifth overall at one point for a reason. You can obviously look at a thousand different examples of guys who were drafted way too high and things like that. But I think Yul Levy at least was recent enough that you, th- you can kind of think the thinking around him going that high was a little bit more modern or progressive than, you know, necessarily someone like good Branson. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's minimal to no risk and a potential upside of, I don't know, he's a top four guy at the end of the season. Yeah. Right. Like, I, I mean, theoretically, the is there, right? Like back, yeah. back in nine and Benoit, nobody's 100% holding down that spot. So you, as a left-sided defenseman, Outside of Fowler, you do have that that chance, right, uh, mm-hmm. to jump in there. So, so yeah, I mean, I just think there's not not a lot to be uh, not a lot to be concerned with, and a lot to be optimistic about, right? I don't know that you want to say excited. I don't want to say that you say hopeful, but I think there is a reason for optimism. And so much as you're bringing in a defenseman with some pedigree into an organization that at least at one point had a a solid track record of developing defensemen, yeah. So I would love to look into this question sometime from DB Lowry saying who was the best reclamation project recently because we do talk about that a lot with guys who were drafted high and didn't pan out originally with the, with the team and then they come to a new team and, and especially when they come to the Ducks you're like okay like this guy had a hybrid pedigree at once maybe he can turn it around I'd wonder if there if there's anybody that's that's ever been said about and then they've actually turned it around and. I'm sure there has. I just don't. I can't remember one off the top of my head of of kind of. Guy. Why can't I think of the dude from Montreal Jared. who isn't Brit? Huh? Jared? I know. Dr- no, not Jared. Uh, 
the guy who <laughs> the guy who was in the Max Domi trade to Arizona. Not Pacioretty, not Gallagher. It's Galchenyuk. Galchenyuk. There it is. But yeah. even even he he never really got it right. Mm-hmm. So and Lopez in the chat said Milano was kind of like that. Yeah. Yeah. Last absolutely. Year for sure. Um, I'm thinking like I'm trying to think of a guy who who like figured it out and like was consistent beyond one season and I I can't I'd have to look into it and find out if there's ever a guy but I wonder if there well, we're is gonna a have time to kill it a month so yeah got to look into that and see okay what what were the other two things you you had that you wanted to get to uh so the first thing was uh, obviously the most important uh, update in ducks <laughs> news the uh, Adidas will no longer be the uh, the jersey manufacturers after their contract is up after next and season right a, yeah i believe so okay i believe it's this season and next season and they're done the 2024 summer um so obviously that means we all have to bother eric stevens about if this means we'll finally go back to the old colors and the old logo um who do you want to take over do you have any thoughts like i just don't want it to be reebok i did not like necessarily the way it was under reebok um you know i don't know if if there is even enough of bauer left for nike to yeah uh, i think think bauer's uh i don't even know if bauer like exists under nike's umbrella anymore i can't remember Lewis is champion or something. I saw that. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, who does um the NBA right now? Nike. Nike. And then well, I guess, football's a tough one to compare to, but and then I know Nike yeah. and Adidas always battle over um soccer jerseys. So They're kits, Edward. Don't be a fucking kits, good. Yes, yeah, you are right. Um I mean, I would like, dude. I wouldn't mind seeing CCM come back in the mix now that now that they're not owned by either Reebok or Adidas. Like they're their own company yeah. since 2017. Uh, it'd be cool to kind of see them come back in and see what they could do on their own. I don't. How funny would it be if like Puma came out of nowhere? That would be that interesting. Would I, I don't. That would be so. Dumb. I don't know what they would do. <laughs> like it would be a really weird. Would be um, like Fila. DBL, I mentioned Under Armour. No. Uh, you don't. Not a fan. I'm not dealing with no. I'm not dealing with the Steph Curry company. I'm not doing it. We're not. I'm not dealing with this shit. Uh, yeah, like, Steph Curry and Jordan Speed. I have no patience for those dorks. Warrior too. Um, like I'm sure Nike is gonna be like if Nike gets in the mix, nobody's beating Nike's proposal. Like they'll just dump money into sure. it, and like you can't beat it. Now, ultimately, for the NHL, it's gonna come down to money. It's not gonna come down to who they think is the best fit, who's gonna make the best jerseys. It's gonna come down to the best who's gonna, who's gonna give who's gonna give them the here. most money. If Nike wants in, it's Nike. Now, if Nike doesn't want back in, it does open it up to an interesting, you know, battle here where it's CCM, it's Warrior, it's Puma, it's Under Armour. Who's gonna be able to who's gonna wanna give up the most money? Because I think Under Armour out of all of them probably has the most money. Of the four mm-hmm. of those I mentioned, but would they want, you know, would they be willing to offer a certain amount for that? Do they, you know, want to be so the, under, the face of, of hockey? Because I don't think hockey's their, their major focus, is it? It never really has been. But here's the thing that's interesting Under Armour is based out of and run and owned by a dude from Maryland. Okay. It wouldn't necessarily be all that surprising to me if Under Armour did want to try to get 
into it and try to capitalize just, you know, being from a part of the country where there is a bit more hockey, uh, as far as, you know, that, that whole area up there. And like, mm-hmm. uh, it's not that far from like, you know, New England and stuff. And I know that, uh, Washington has had a, has had a pretty big impact in that area on youth hockey and things like that. So it wouldn't necessarily be the most surprising. Um, but we do have to say as Khaled, uh, on Twitter said the best option is Jordan. If we get Jordan brand hockey jerseys, that would be cool. It's never going to happen. We can't have nice things, yeah. but that would be the most fun in the world. There's only a, few, a handful. Like I know PSG has Jordan brand. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how many because they do. Yeah, but I would I would imagine like Charlotte in the NBA they don't have Jordan. Do they have Jordan brand or they have to be? I think they have Jordan brand. Or do they have to abide by whatever the NBA has? Oh, well, that's actually, that's probably it. But I think, um, who was I thinking of just now that has, um, like, I know Jordan is just like, like, there's golfers who have, like, Jordan-branded gear. Yeah. yeah. So, you know. Yeah, like, ultimately, it comes down to, it's, like, it's Nike, it's Under Armour, it's Reebok, it's Puma, it's Warrior, it's CCM. Um, and then there's, like, there's there's funny ones you could look at, like New Balance or something like that. Spila, New Balance, uh, Lululemon. Kappa. <laughs> um but yeah it it should be one of those big like i I do think the most interesting one maybe is puma right maybe Mm -hmm. like they've always been weird like that where they just kind of show up out of nowhere and they make a big deal like that and um i'd be interested to see what they could do with it because historically like puma has done some really cool things with jerseys most Mm -hmm. of the time it's been it's been soccer uh, but they they've been Arsenal's kit for a while, right? I think so. Yeah, they they've, they've done some cool ones. They, they were Dortmund for a bit, and and they've kind of switched. Over. So they've they've done some cool stuff, and they they always seem to think out of the box and try and do things differently. So I think that would be pretty cool to see what they could do. I, I think I saw somebody like I don't know if it's joking or not mention Lululemon is <laughs> one, um, but I, I think like at the end of the day, it has to be somebody who's designed jerseys in the past. Like I don't think we're gonna get somebody come out of the woodworks that has not done jerseys or not. anchor blue. Yeah, like like even like I don't think like I mentioned New Balance and I mentioned um, you know a few other brands that like this they you know they do equipment brands but they haven't done jerseys right or haven't done mm-hmm. jerseys in a very long time because I think Warrior did jerseys for like a year and I can't imagine that they would want to jump back into that. So like I do think it's Nike, it's CCM, it's Under Armour, and it's Puma who would be kind of the top the top dogs offering it um and be interesting but somebody also mentioned like nike right now has the nfl the mlb and uh what was the other and the nba right yeah so they have, yeah. they have all three of the the big four if you want to still include the nhl and the big four sports um if you want to complete the collection and go back and, and get the nhl back right so, <laughs> the final uh final jersey infinity, uh, infinity stone, stone. yeah, yeah. <laughs> So I, I would so, imagine, like, if I had to put safe money down, it's probably Nike. But I would I would welcome a new one in just to kind of see what they could do, right? Mm-hmm. I agree. I, I've, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm welcoming the change from Adidas because I'm not a huge fan of what they've done. Now, I do like their the fits of their jerseys better than I've seen from some in the past. Um, but just some of the approaches they've taken to, like, these reverse retros and stuff, in, in, in some aspects they've been good and in a lot of others they haven't yeah. been, so... Yeah, I, I think, you know, I think for me, some of the, the like, 
more just standard home and away jerseys under Adidas have been kind of uh, like the reverse retro misses. I'm kind of just fine with yeah. um, just because people miss, right? Like in every league, right? Teams, different teams have different misses and all that stuff. So like the reverse retro stuff, I'm less critical of, but like some of it is just not good. Like some of the like home jerseys yeah. and away, like standard jerseys are just not good. I feel like Adidas so. had too, too much hands on with the design process where they wanted to do some, some weird things they thought would work. And it wasn't always like thinking of what the fans would like in Jersey. So whoever comes in, I hope there is, there is that right where it is, a understanding of what the fans want. You're never going to make everybody happy, but there was too many cases where a lot of those jerseys were like people just wondering why the hell they made this or designed this, right? And mm-hmm. um, I would hope there was a bit more of that. DB Lowry put the the just worst nightmare scenario in my head of it being fanatics taking over the full. <laughs> yeah, but here's the thing: if it is fanatics, every time all five fights that we're going to get in the NHL per year would have old school style rippage because that stuff is made out of like wax paper. Yeah. So we'd get some old ones. I do agree. The Adidas era was probably better than Reebok, but not quite the same level as CCM. I would agree with that. It's Reebok. Reebok had some had some tough tough years but yeah so adidas like in general did okay but then there was some weird moments they tried to branch out and do some stuff and it just didn't work uh the last thing that we have to talk about is you uh apparently i don't know uh tried to show your daughter the harley quinn tv show because you thought that was appropriate and i just think you should defend yourself in front of the people and that they should know that you're a monster. I have nothing, no way to defend myself other than I thought maybe um, a DC, like the only DC kid shows I've shown her have been kid shows. They've been uh, Teen Titans and like actual kid show. So I was, we, she really likes Carly Quinn and the, the DC superheroes. And I was like, okay, I was looking for shows. And I was looking at it at uh, like seven in the morning. So I was half awake and I found the Harley Quinn show. And it was a cartoon. So I, in my head, and like yeah, obviously no, more, more lately, like there have been like shows like Invincible and like the boys' cartoon adaption, which is basically just, you know, again, the same as the show. Like there are those where they're a bit, but. They're, like I figured, okay, that's like an Amazon Prime thing, right? Like Amazon Prime right. seems to have a ton of those shows. So I was like, okay, I'm safe. Like this is an HBO Max show, I think, or something like that. And um, it should be okay, and it looks pretty tame. And I just threw it on, didn't look at the – it was on a streaming website, didn't look at the rating, just popped it on the TV. And I was sitting uh, making making her breakfast and heard a couple of F-bombs, and I was like, all right. Like I didn't know if I heard it right, so I was like, okay, I walked out there, and yeah. I walked out to like a scene of her biting some uh, some guy's ear off, and I was like, "Oh man, I made a bad bad choice here. This didn't this didn't work out." But yeah, apparently it's like the same like type of show as like Invincible or something with that type of the type of graphicness behind it. So did not pan out, but I'll probably watch it though. You told me it was a good. It's show. so good, dude. I love it. It's such a great show. It's just so funny because everything you said is right. Like if you're not thinking about it, there's yeah. been a ton of like animated content for kids, and you know the comic so book stuff is getting pushed. Too. Like you're like, oh, this is a cartoon show, and then like all of a sudden, all the way off the rails, yeah. bro. It's so quickly, good. It's so, so good. quickly off the rails. Um, I just cut it there. I was like, all right, that's fine. And she was like, yeah, that's fine. I don't want to watch this anyway. So it's not happening. <laughs> oh. So that's all. I just wanted to make you answer to the people for that. Yeah, thanks. 
I mean, is it my fault? Probably, but that's not the point. We're not going to have that conversation though. No. So, but hey, we we uh, managed to um, turn one topic into an hour and twenty six minutes, like we normally do. Uh, Stretch it out a bit, uh, but exciting, exciting, exciting day. John Klingberg is an Anaheim Duck. Didn't think we'd be saying that this off season, and now maybe we're back again tomorrow. If Nazem Kadri signs a one by twelve million dollar deal <laughs> and follows suit with that, so that uh, I know that's what I saw a lot of that um, on Twitter today. I I still am full. I still fully believe that there is going to be some team out there who clears the cap space and is willing to pay Nazem Kadri uh, big money. Calgary, the Islanders. I think those are two teams that are going to get it done. But if they don't, and if they mm-hmm. can't, it might happen. Like, of all the teams that have all that cap space right now, where would you rather go if you're Nazem Kadri? Buffalo, Arizona, or Anaheim? I think after the Ducks signing Klingberg, I think you'd choose Anaheim, right? So it, uh, it's a possibility. I mean, I, right? I, I, ugh, there's just so many bash. Honestly, I almost wonder if you go to Buffalo just so you could punch austin matthews what six times a season yeah you get to play in toronto a bit more and burn them uh but hey man like i'm not gonna put it out of the realm of possibility because i didn't think this would happen so maybe uh maybe yeah matthews no sees i this um, and says hey like i'll take a big payday now and, then, and you know i'm at the very least he's gonna get a deal next year even if it doesn't pan out for him he'll he can get moved at the deadline he can go to a team. The Ducks can eat half of that salary. I think one by twelve is tough because even moving him with six at the deadline is a lot. But if you do like a one by ten, mm-hmm. one by eleven, um, it's not as bad. Move to move five, five and a half. You retain fifty percent, and God forbid you push for a playoffs with Kadri and Klingberg on this team, right? So, what a weird, what a, what weird, a weird situation man. that would be. What a, what a way to to uh, make a statement as a as a GM and kind of pave your own path, signing two, two of the top free agents to one year deals. <laughs> God, that'd be so funny. Just trying to go for it. For I would one have no, I would love it. Yeah. Just screw it. At that point though, yeah. if they're, you're playing well at the deadline and you're in a spot, do you move them? Like then, then you get like, you probably can because it still is found money, right? Like you just signed these guys. Hey. Well, I think it depends, right? Like, I think it depends on if you have any interest in keeping either of them long term. Let's just say, for the sake of the argument, uh, you didn't, and it was then, you're in a playoff spot at the deadline. Then yeah, yeah, I think at that point you have to trade them because you go to them and you'd be like, "We can extend you with this, but like we, you're probably not comfortable with that, so we're going to move you." And you move them at the deadline to a team that's going to get a contender, and you know you maybe bring up somebody right like a Hellison or something like that to kind of help fill it out and you see if you can either a stay afloat long enough to make the playoffs and you know get swept in the first round by like colorado uh or if you fall far enough that you you know fall into the lottery and you make a little bit of luck um you know i think at that point it's probably mostly about just where the young players on the team are and how how strong they're able to play how much of you know, like how much of them being in the playoff race is Kadri and Klingberg having good seasons yeah. and how much of it is all the kids taking a step together, right? That's that's where it becomes the question it's, mark for At me. the end of the day, it's not a bad situation to be in. You either keep them and you, you don't get anything for them mm-hmm. and you get, a, you get a nice free playoff run and then they go to free agency. Um, and you know what? Like you're not losing out on anything necessarily because you didn't tra- – trade anything or lose any assets to get them in the first place. 
mm-hmm. or you move them and you get assets and maybe you still make the playoffs depending on your position and the kids take steps forward, right? McTavish jumps into that 2C role or whatever. Perot comes up. Hellison comes up and, you know, you, you manage to kind of still get in the playoffs and, and do okay. Um, and then the rebuild continues and you continue with the assets you got. So it, it, it would be still a win-win scenario either way, right, to, to do mm-hmm. that. And, and I think obviously you can, you can compete better um, with Kadri and, and Klingberg. And it appeases the fan base a little bit. You know, you you go in, you, yeah. you go into the playoffs, get a little bit of a long playoff run, get a taste of it again, right back to the rebuild. But, hey, we've refreshed you guys a little bit. We've made the playoffs. We've done well. And now we're right back <laughs> yeah. into it. So I'm glad we took ourselves out of the lottery in the one year with the generational talent. Nobody noticed that part. Bye. Yeah, yeah, I don't. What are you going to do? It is what it is. Yeah. Kadri would, would significantly surprise me. I, I can't see it happening. But, hey, I mean, anything could happen right now. So. Uh, yeah, I didn't see this before I woke up today. So, All right. Well, that's going to do it, guys. Um, we have a few other plans for some interviews after the Scott Wheeler one um, with some people. So we're going to we're gonna schedule that up. And, and then from here on out, it uh, we're just going to try and do as many shows as we can. I don't know how much Ducks news we're going to get. This one just kind of worked out. Uh, but we do have some plans to kind of talk about the NHL as a whole and, uh, and go into a lot of the stuff that um, – that we haven't been able to cover yet. Some of the big moves, like we've talked to Matthew Kachuk from a like a Ducks perspective. Uh, How does it affect Toronto, right? <laughs> I know we want to, uh, to to get into that a little bit more and uh, kind of really dive into what um, I don't know if I'm, like what that means from some of the other teams' perspectives uh, and and really get into that. So we will uh, we will definitely be back and, and planning for that. Um, and what else do we have? I know we've been talking a bunch of different ideas. I, for some reason, it's escaping me right now. Uh, yeah, we want to do like league reviews, league previews. Um, I don't know. My brain is turned off. I'm. It's Friday, man. I don't know. I don't know. I can't. My brain doesn't work right now. Yeah. I know there's stuff we wanted to do. We have them somewhere in like DMs or notes or things like that. We'll find them. But yeah, um, yeah, I'm, a couple people we wanted to try to talk to, like you said, and you know, if if we can get those people, we think we're gonna have some interesting conversations and stuff. So, just that kind of stuff, really, right now. And then, you know, as once we get to the part where it really wraps up, Kadri signs and all that, we'll probably do some kind of big picture league wide review. <laughs> I love it. All right, well, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, off season still in full swing. Um, but if you want to you help us keep going throughout the summer, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, search Forever Mighty, leave us a rating, a review. It really helps it. We'll read it on the show. Uh, we really appreciate them. Love to kind of go through those. So if you haven't, please do that. Um, we're also on Spotify, and they've introduced a new rating system too. So if you want to pop on there, give us a quick rating if you're already listening to the show. If you're listening right now on Spotify, just give us a, give us a quick pause during one of the ad breaks and leave us a rating. We appreciate that there. Uh, all video versions of this show exist on YouTube. You can go to youtube.com slash Podcast. Make sure to subscribe. We also put out some morning shows when I have time more so, likely during uh, the start of the season called Ducks Morning Brew. So those will be back. You can go back and, and backdate some of those. They're still relevant and check them out. Uh, check out our website, forevermighty.com. Find everything in one place there, where to watch, where to listen to the show, how to support. You can go and look at our fancy bios and find out a bit more about me and Steven, Jason, Patrick, <laughs> and and, uh, and where to find us on social media. Uh, our Twitter is at ForeverMightyFM. Jason's is at Jason underscore Lamb. 
Uh, oh God, I forget what Pat's is now. He's changed it. <laughs> I can't remember what it is. Uh, so I can't shit out Pat. Uh, mine's at Eddie Van Jones. Stevens is at the Hockey Boomer. But yeah, thanks guys. Thanks again for everyone from listening. Thanks to everyone who joined the stream. Uh, we've got new emotes, new sub badges for all of our subscribers. So if you want to, you know, if you've got Amazon Prime, and you're sitting there with a you know an Amazon Prime subscription, you don't know what to do with it. Uh, Twitch offers a free subscription. You get one free subscription with your Amazon Prime subscription. So send it our way. You get some nice emotes. We added them in. Uh, we've got our Zegris in Nom uh, one in our chat. We've got the turtle <laughs> with uh, Ryan Getzlaff. We got a Ryan Getzlaff uh, with uh, Lucky Charms. I don't know where I found that one. I just found that randomly on my computer. And we've got the Jason uh, with the faded out Fowler RAPF chart in front of him. <laughs> So they're, they're a lot of fun. I mean, they're little extra things uh, we add into the stream. But again, thanks again, everybody, for coming out. And we will see you soon. Bye, everybody.